Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. It's interesting how the sobriety thing just keeps evolving. So that's pretty cool. On today's episode, we have Laura. She's 40 years old from Northwest Arkansas and took her last drink on August 8th, 2019. Great job, Laura. I want to say thank you to all of our Cafe Ari chat hosts. You guys are my heroes. Thank you so much. And listeners, here's my toxic positivity for the day. Today is going to be a good day. In fact, today has already been a good day. I'd like to put a call out there for early sobriety interviews. If you find yourself within the first 15 days, first 30 days away from your last drink, send an email to info at recoveryelevator.com. We want to hear from you guys. Now you might be saying to yourself, wait a second, I'm not seeming able to get this, or I don't have much to share because I only have a certain amount of days. First off the word only, that's one of my biggest pet peeves in the sobriety space. One day is the miracle, an intention, an idea to remain alcohol free or to be alcohol free or to deviate from this drunk world. That is the miracle. Another thing you may have heard it in the rooms. It's the newcomers, the most important person. I find these interviews are raw. They're almost more authentic. It reminds me of what it's like. There's a thing called alcoholism. The I S M the ism stands for incredible short memory. It helps those with a little bit of time. Remember just how real it can get. If we go back to drinking. Okay, I've got a quick lineup of Recovery Elevator offerings for you. Here we go. March 18th, we start our six-week course of Ditching the Booze, the What, the Why, and the How. We meet once per week live, and this is our Intro into Ditching the Booze class. This course is for Cafe Ari members only. It is included with membership. Use the promo code OPPORTUNITY if you want to join Cafe Ari. And then we have registration for our sixth annual retreat in the beautiful, pristine pine forest of Bozeman, Montana. That registration opens up Monday, April 1st. I want to plant the seed early with you as this event gets waitlisted within a couple weeks. So we come together as a group in the Rocky Mountains. We laugh, we heal, we eat blueberry pancakes, we play kickball. We simply have a great time. Link is in the show notes for both of these events. Thank you, Robin. Now I shared a line a couple episodes ago that I want to bring up again. This line summarizes how most of us enter the alcohol-free world. First, it's an intention, then a behavior, then a practice, then a habit, then second nature, then simply it's who you are. Now, I don't know who said this, but I absolutely love it. Most people think sobriety is a one and done thing, but for most of us, it's a process that can and does take time. So be kind to yourself. So be kind to yourself. And what's that other line? Life's a journey and not the destination. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. The most important relationship that you have is a relationship with yourself. I love the quote that says, you can't hate yourself into self-love. For me, healing the relationship that I have with myself has been one of the biggest benefits of being in recovery. Thanks to therapy, I have been able to grow my confidence, develop tools that allow me to focus on self-acceptance, and truly improve the relationship I have with myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate 
whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Elevator. Okay, let's get started. Someone asked a great question in our Dry January class that I wanted to address with the audience. I also did a YouTube video on this, and there's a link in the show notes for that video. Thank you, Robin. The question is, why don't alcoholics get hangovers? Okay, first we need to debunk this. They do get hangovers, crushing hangovers, in fact, but they usually begin drinking before the full amount of alcohol can be metabolized in their system that they drank the day or night before. Said another way, they start drinking again before the hangover cycle is completed. This is mostly tied to tolerance. Now, a classic trait of any drug is you're going to need more and more of a substance to get the same effect. This is true with alcohol, opiates, cocaine, nicotine, and even caffeine. So as tolerance develops with alcohol, the hangover gets pushed back later in the day the next day. A chronic drinker who drinks 10 to 15 drinks daily won't begin the hangover cycle at 8 a.m. the next morning, but more likely they will experience the worst of the withdrawal effects later in the day or evening. In fact, if a heavy chronic drinker stops cold turkey, they'll get a level 10 bruising hangover, which could last for three to seven days. And that hangover could even result in death as alcohol is the world's most dangerous drug to detox from. And this is something I have to mention with a huge asterisk. If you have been drinking, let's say five to eight drinks daily for months or even years, then it's a very good idea to seek medical attention before quitting drinking. I used to own a bar in Granada, Spain. It was the best and worst time of my life. Best for reasons you can imagine. I was chasing after my dreams, traveling the world, living in Europe. The worst time of my life because alcohol took me to some very dark and lonely places. Oh yeah, and I lost it all. I remember when I left Spain for the last time. I got completely shit-faced the night before. I remember the first flight the next morning from Spain to Ireland, and it wasn't that bad. But the evening flight from Ireland to Houston was unbearable. Think 10 hours straight of sweating in a seated position with no sleep. I remember my next flight from Houston to Denver, about 36 hours after my last drink. That is when I started to have audible hallucinations or hearing things that aren't even there. And I continued to hear them for about three weeks after my last drink. So yes, alcoholics get hangovers. And as the kids would say, alcoholics go full send with their hangovers, but they usually start drinking again before the full hangover cycle is completed. That hangover when I left my bar in Spain lasted for about two weeks. Now you may hear the line that it's easier to stay sober than to get sober. I don't ever want to go through that again. Now another side of the same coin, chronic drinkers, alcoholics, people who struggle with a drinking problem are almost always experiencing a low to mid-grade hangover. In other words, they feel like shit all the time. When my drinking was at its heaviest, both of these were true for me. I drank all my hangovers away, and I constantly felt like dog garbage. Another undesirable place alcohol can take you is that you no longer drink to feel normal, but you drink to not feel like death. And the absolute worst place alcohol will take you is you no longer drink to not feel like death, you drink to not die. So why don't alcoholics get hangovers? Well, if they stop drinking, it would be a rough week, and they feel like shit all the time, especially when they don't have a drink in their hand. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this intro. We've got a great interview with Laura, but before we do that, let's hear a word from my favorite NA Brewing Company, Go Brewing. 
Go Brewing is redefining the non-alcoholic craft beer landscape, and we are thrilled to have them as a partner on our podcast. Since launching in 2023, they've become a standout, fulfilling almost 25,000 orders across the U.S. and creating an impressive array of 23 distinct beer varieties. Their expertise hasn't gone unnoticed. Go Brewing won the gold and silver medals from the prestigious Best of Craft Beer Awards for their innovative brews, suspended in a sunbeam pills, and Sunshine State Tropical Hazy IPA. Innovation is at their core, and they are pushing the boundaries of beer crafting. This includes pioneering gluten-free beer, like their wellness-infused Freedom Chill, enriched with ashwagandha and L-theanine. Their latest sensation? A double IPA that's a hit with beer enthusiasts, brimming with mosaic, citra, and Simcoe hops. And here's something special for our listeners. Save 15% off with the code ELEVATOR, plus free two-day shipping on orders of three six-packs or more. That's right, order it today, and in two days, it will be at your doorstep. Go Brewing is more than a brand for many. Their beer is a tool for people who want the experience without the alcohol. If you missed it, you can save 15% off with the code ELEVATOR, plus free two-day shipping on orders of three six-packs or more. Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Laura to the show. Laura, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. It's a beautiful winter day in North Dakota. We don't have 20 feet of snow, so all is right with the world. If you don't want 20 feet of snow, there are 49 other states. Yeah, I know. This is... (laughs) This is a personal dilemma that I that I wrestle with regularly. I get it. There will be a day. And I love this place. Before we get started, that's my obligatory weather conversation for this podcast. Before we get started, can you let listeners know how long you've been sober? Since August 8th, 2019. August 8th so of 2019. You can do the math. That's four years. August 8th of 2019. Four years and change. Nice job. Thank you. How do you feel? Good. Yeah. I mean, obviously we'll get into the story, but I, I, a lot of unexpected epiphanies late into these four plus years. And it's interesting how the sobriety thing just keeps evolving. So that's pretty cool. That's a great way to put it. Constant evolution. I love that. Before we get into your story, can you let listeners know a little bit about yourself, where you live, what you do for a living, any family you care to mention? And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? So the 20 feet of snow comment, uh, I live in Northwest Arkansas now because I lived in Colorado for about, I don't know, 15 years or so. And my husband and I were two kids who moved out there for summers, not winters. We were done with the snow. So we moved to the quote unquote mountain biking capital of the world. There are lots of bike trails here and summer things to do on a December day. It's like, I don't, it was like 60 something yesterday here. So loving the warmer climate in the winter. So done with the snow. I'm 40 years old. I'm married and I have two dogs. I'm going the four-legged children route rather than human children. And I teach Pilates. Um, I taught preschool for a long time, about 12, 13 years. And uh, pre-COVID, actually around the same time that I quit drinking, it wasn't, well, it was, I guess it was sort of a parallel path, uh, but that wasn't the reason necessarily for the shift in drinking. But I needed a different career path. And 
in tandem. I went to a Pilates class and then got certified. And that's what I'm doing now full time. Very cool. Oh, and for fun, I go to a lot of concerts and all things outdoors. All right. Two follow-up questions. Dogs' names. Oh, great question. Uh, Banjo and then Yoshime. If you know the Flaming Lips, uh, Yoshime battles the pink robots. That's our dog. I love it. And second follow-up question, favorite concert. I won't say best. I don't, I don't think. What's your favorite concert today? That's all that I spend money on. So that's a tough one. But I go to a lot of Green Sky Bluegrass. Um, a lot of Billy Strings. So I'm a green, green, uh, bluegrass gal. And then, uh, but I mean, yeah, the Flaming Lips are incredible. It's a festival where even if you're sober, you feel like you might not be in a good way, like not a scary way. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. Yeah. You can kind of like cut loose and, and be yeah. in it. Yeah. I mean, they're like things flying through the air, the effect are awesome it's very cool hopefully one day they'll go to that sphere in las vegas anyway okay. for another day. i think it's a different <laughs> podcast but <laughs> i just saw a youtube video this morning i haven't watched it yet it's like is this sphere worth it but... i don't know how it couldn't be but i'll let you know someday i'll go okay i'll wait for your report from what yeah. i've seen it looks pretty amazing it looks so cool all right all sphere things aside uh let's do what we came here to do and talk about your journey with alcohol Let's start in the beginning, maybe some early exposure, then work into first usage and, and we'll walk forward from there. Yeah. So growing up, alcohol wasn't a part of my immediate family. My parents, you know, they didn't drink a lot. And if they did, they really didn't like for my brother and I to see it. So they would drink after we went to sleep as we were really little. And then as we grew up, you know, drinking was just occasional. It just wasn't a part of our, like, you know, our family growing up. Most of my parents are children of alcoholics. So it was important to them to kind of shield us from that based on the things that they saw as kids. And then when I went to high school, I was not cool. I had like four best friends and we would be like making nerdy music videos or just, you know, we were like totally lame. Plus, my dad was my high school principal, so I was nice. I was friendly with everybody. Everyone was very nice to me, but I was never invited to parties. So my first time drinking, I think I was a sophomore in high school, and one of my friends was like, poured a little Dixie cup of her mom's wine, and I remember her being like, we just have to pretend like it's medicine, which... How bizarre is that? Like, pretend like this disgusting thing is medicine. You have to take it. So we like took shots of wine and I was like, I don't, th this is disgusting. So I didn't do much with that until I went to college. And then, you know, it's America, universities in the early 2000s. Uh, it's a big party scene. And again, not being a drinker when I was growing up, when I went to college, I was like, I don't know how to meet people here. How am I going to make friends? I don't know what I'm doing. And so, you know, it as it does, it became the social lubricant. Then I went to the University of Kansas. Basketball season started. Rock chalk. It's a big deal there. So the community just kind of revolves around basketball. So I automatically just made friends and had a crew. But then... At that point, you know, drinking was just part of the culture. And so it was a party all the time. So, it, you know, I, 
I, I would say it's nothing outlandish, but like beer bongs are never normal. Right. <laughs> so anyway, the drinking just kind of got crazy, but it was all in the name of fun and games. And then simultaneously, as I started drinking more, I started noticing a lot of mental health stuff. Fast forward quickly through my college career because it all, again, just felt very normal. But then after I graduated, after my senior year, I stayed in Lawrence and I, one of my friends and I would just go out on Thursdays and we would just say, okay, we're going to go until we black out. And we would just drink until we didn't remember anything. And for me, that actually became a coping mechanism because I was simultaneously dealing with a lot, again, of mental health stuff, psychosis and paranoid thoughts. And just it was very dark, a lot of depression. Mm. And so I was drinking to literally shut off my brain because I was terrified and I didn't know what else to do. And I thought, if I pay attention to this, I'm getting closed behind a door in a psych ward forever. Like in my mind, this is the type of thing that you don't come back from. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to touch on a couple points real quick. First, sure. I went fast. No, you're good. You're good. I would disagree about the high school part. I think nerdy making nerdy music videos sounds amazing. Just for what it's worth, I can throw that little shout out to high school version of you. I think that's super cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we are, we're very close in age. So yeah, that 2000s college drinking scene, I think just to point out, it sounds like your situation was similar to a lot of, uh, a lot of our listeners where we use this as a tool, you know, you even said it social lubricant, it's a way that we can kind of deal with some of that anxiety and, and trouble, like not knowing how to fit in. Who am I? How do, where do I belong? What do I do? And finding that, that crew of people and using that you know, using alcohol as a tool to, to calm those nerves and make us feel at home. Yeah. I mean, I think that that transition was so massive to me. And on the front end of going to college, I'd only ever heard people say it's the best four years of your life. So I thought I was going to get there from day one. I would find my people. I would know exactly where I fit in and who my friends were, but it wasn't that way. And so that actually made it that much harder. And then, you know, once I found those people, then it was like, oh, but now it's not a coping skill. It's not a way to fit in. I'm in, but let's just keep this going because it's fun. And it was fun until it wasn't. And then I start to wonder like that chicken or the egg thing, you know, like, was it the drinking that led to my mental health stuff? Or did the mental health stuff just get further down the line because of my drinking? At this point, it doesn't matter. Like, it happened. But I will say to anybody who's in their 20s and is like in college and possibly listening to this, like it's freaking hard. And people don't say that enough. I don't think like nobody told me and not that I would have listened anyway. Maybe I needed to learn the lesson the hard way. But people just didn't say this is going to suck for a while. Yeah, I think that can make us feel like we're doing it wrong, you know, because we hear and it, like, yes, it can be amazing. It can be all these great things. What can also exist in the same space is like the challenges, the social, the social challenges, just the, the change in the academic expectations or like whatever realm we go into, even if it's not college, if it's, you know, I would, I was the military route, but a different version of the same thing. 
Yeah. And just giving people permission. I love, I love that you said that giving people permission, especially if we have listeners that are, you know, in college and like, shit, why is this tough for me? Well, because it's probably tough for everybody and like, you're not alone and that's okay. And I think you also bring up a good point where did, did drinking create mental health issues? Did, were mental health issues a, a result of drinking? It, it doesn't matter. But when we find ourselves in that situation, it kind of becomes our responsibility regardless of you know, what started what, but back to your story, you've yeah. graduated, you've, you've stuck around Lawrence, uh, you're hanging out and you find yourself using alcohol with the intent, with the intention to black out, to not have to deal with some of the issues that, that you're faced with. How did, how did that play out? Yeah. So no one was really saying like, Hey, we're worried about your drinking, anything like that. At the same time, like, I was so far gone mental health wise that I think there were moments where I was blacked out without alcohol even being in the equation. So just because my mental health was that bad and it got to a point where um, I was I was teaching at the time, actually, uh, I wasn't drinking on the job. This was all like after work, but I went to work one day and my coworker was the first person to pull me aside and she's like, you need help. Like, I don't know what's going on, but you are not okay. And you need to figure this out. And I went home that day and literally like physically fell to the floor sobbing and told my roommate, something's wrong with me. I've got to go to the hospital. And I was admitted to a psych ward. I was there for three weeks, um, diagnosed with bipolar disorder and then put on a regimen of um, prescriptions for that. And then I left Lawrence and moved home and lived with my parents um, to just rehabilitate myself, go to therapy, figure out this new normal. And it was so long ago. I mean, this was, gosh, in 2000, I don't know, 2000 something. Yeah. It's a long time ago, 2007, I think. And um, so I don't, I really don't go back there much, maybe in my mind, maybe not as much as I even should, because I think there's a lot of stuff there that I could still look at. Uh, but I moved back to St. Louis and then kind of got myself on the right footing. I wasn't drinking as much. I was taking medication. But at this point, my alcohol hadn't even come into question. I just thought, well, I'm 20 something like this is what people do. So I kept drinking, though there's a thing on all the medications like do not take while drinking alcohol. I was like, yeah, but like this is meant for someone in their 40s. I'm I'm going to keep drinking. Yeah, they forgot that caveat. Like, oh, I'm of of a certain age. Everyone. (laughs) So then long story long, I uh, moved out to Colorado and went to grad school there and um you know, it's a it's a brewery culture in Colorado and there are breweries on every corner as there are, you know, weed shops. And we drank all the time, went to concerts. It was the thing. Like I lived at Red Rocks. We were always partying. And I've heard this said on the podcast before where people will comment about how, you know, it's kind of the people who you surround yourself with make it seem normal. Like I wasn't the issue. They called me 88 because I would just drink 88 beers while everybody else was on number one. But they'd all catch up to me and they'd all be just as, you know, I was like, okay, it's not a big deal. We're all just hammered. This is how it goes. And 
I wasn't having consequences with work. I was, you know, I was, I didn't really get hung over. There were no like major things in my life. So I just kept it going. And this is where the story kind of shifts in that I want to simply tell my story, but my story is also wrapped up in that of my husband's, which is we started dating and it wasn't until right after we got married, even like we dated for like three years, but I never really saw the drinking for what it was. And then when we got married, you know, I'd come home and he's already passed out on the couch and the drinking was just constant. and all the time. And again, I want to be mindful to tell my story and not necessarily his, but there were a lot of complications, a couple legal things. And actually that on my end too, I got a DUI at one point, you know, just so many things that in a span of time, if drawn out, it somehow feels okay. But then when you take a step back and you're like, wait, all of this was a mess. So In the end, I quit drinking in support of my husband because he like he needed to quit. And I recognize that. But again, I didn't recognize, oh, I'm just as much, if not the same level here of a problem. Was I ever addicted to alcohol? Did I like physically need it? Did I have a dependency? No, but I would just as readily say I was an alcoholic as the next person because my life became, as they say, that unmanageable. Yeah. That's a tough place to be. If you, if you or or any of our listeners are familiar with my story, it's very much one of where my addiction had a, a strong impact on the people around me to include my wife and she quit. I mean, she quit drinking and I would, I would not have called her, her usage problematic. It would have fallen that fell in that range of like quote unquote normal but yeah, I bummed her out so much with all my bullshit that she just quit. Yeah, I can, I can, as somebody who's been the the motivating partner, I don't know what the hell we would call ourselves in that situation, but that where some of the consequences of my usage were much larger than those of the people around me. What, what did it feel like on, on your end looking at, um, and again, we, we don't have to dive into, into like his, the specifics of, of what he was doing. We'd love to have him on the show if he if he wants to come on. But but on your end, taking a look in and being able to see like acutely, like, hey, like this is your problem. And if you could do this and this and this, it maybe it wouldn't be a problem. As you were witnessing those things with him, how long was that time frame? And what did that look like for you to like shine the lens back on yourself? Was that his use bring sure. to light any awareness of yours? Nope. <laughs> I wish I could say yes. I wish I could say that I looked at him and I was like, oh, and I should do this too. It wasn't so much in a blame way. Like I didn't necessarily feel like alcohol was bringing good into my life, but I, but like you mentioned the word acutely, like for him, it went looking at where he was in his life. It did feel so acute that I was able to just be like, okay, well, this is his problem and I'm going to do this in support. And it wasn't until the past like year or so where I where I was able to say, oh my gosh, are you kidding that I was right there? Like <laughs> I'm I'm on the same starting line there, you know? Because 
Yeah, you you don't just like black out every night or you don't get the nickname 88 because your drinking is normal. You don't uh, get a DUI. Like, I, I just think any one of those things is enough to kind of take pause, whereas I almost doubled down. So yeah, it wasn't uh, an answer to your question. It was very recently, even... I think I feel like, as I mentioned, it's still an evolution. Like I had a revelation kind of recently when somebody uh, said something to me, having just moved here, like, oh, do you want to go out for a drink at some point? And I go, oh, I don't drink. And they were like, well, tell me about that. And I was like, well, initially I quit in support of my husband. And then I go, but that's a dumb thing to say because it, I needed to quit. You know, it was very recently that I've just kind of realized this is my issue, too. So it's interesting to be four plus years into sobriety and be like, oh, this wasn't for him. This was for me. And in a way, that's a little bit of a reclamation and it feels good where I can now almost celebrate myself even more and realize how far I've come because it wasn't just letting go of the alcohol for him. Like this has brought so much to my life and to realize, yeah, just how, how, far I've come is kind of wild. Yeah. Let's talk, let's talk the early days of your sobriety and just from, from the lens of someone who's all right, I'm going to listen. I want to support my partner. I want to be there for them. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, what did those early days look like? Was there any sort of like, did you, did you even consider or pursue any sort of support or, or sort of a program, anything like that? Yeah. So initially I went to Al-Anon a few times when uh, my husband was still actively drinking. And, you know, that that was interesting to walk into having no kind of foundation for what AA was or Al-Anon was, as mentioned, like drinking wasn't really a part of my life growing up. And I, you know, wasn't familiar with anyone who was even sober at that point. All my friends were booze hounds. So what was really interesting was that in tandem, uh, I went to a yoga class while I was on vacation and I noticed that the woman who was teaching the class also taught some sort of sober yoga class. So one thing that sobriety has brought to my life a thousand percent are relationships and people. Because when I got home, and um, my husband was getting sober. She was the first person I reached out to. And I'd gone to one of her yoga classes. And I just said, I don't know who to talk to. I noticed you had this on your schedule. Like, help me here. And not only was she a lifeline, but at this point, she's legitimately my best friend. We talk almost every day. You know, we live states and states apart. But you know, we were virtual friends before you needed to have a virtual friend, uh, just sending voice memos all the time. And so uh, that's another thing that's been such a gift in sobriety is that it's not you don't necessarily have to reach out to someone you're already friends with. You're going to forge so many friendships and meet so many people in this community based on a need and based on um, the fact that there are people ahead of you. It's like when they are talking about finding a sponsor, you look to someone who has something that you want and that can be anybody. And I feel like the more I am open about it and the more I talk about it, the more people come forward, you know? Yeah. You know, you make a good point, not having exposure to the recovery space. Like, I mean, even if we're 
surrounded by alcohol as young people that the recovery space, it can seem so alien to enter the rooms of any 12 step, whether it's AA, Al-Anon, Celebrate Recovery, like anything, like any of these worlds until like, until we're in it, it's just like, what in the hell is on the other side of that door? And it's very intimidating, but I love that you, you know, I love that you found someone uh, like a sober yoga instructor. And I think you make a very good point. The universe will provide if we open ourselves up and look for those things. Yeah. And in those early days, like I wasn't shy either. I mean, again, I didn't think I was doing this for myself. I thought that I was reaching out to other people to help me know how to navigate this as a spouse. But again, I was teaching at that point and I mentioned it to one of the parents in the school. Like, why did I do that? I have no idea. But he went to his car and got out his five-year chip. And I mean, I'm getting emotional even remembering that moment, but like I needed that so much at the time because I felt like I was drowning and I just mentioned it in passing, like, you know, I'm really struggling right now and how unprofessional (laughs) of me to talk with my student's dad, but he didn't think so at all because he had just probably come from a meeting, you know, and never once have I mentioned sobriety or mentioned mental health issues or mentioned putting my health first. Never have I talked about that and regretted it because sure, maybe it helps someone else, but I think I'm doing it from a selfish perspective because the flip side of that is the person always comes back and is welcoming, open, and just, it's a better, it's a better level to be on. So that's very cool. Yeah. We never know. Right. And to, to make some of those statements, it can be really challenging to, to open up about where we are or or what we've been through. But I think, like, I truly believe that we get those nudges for a reason. And and what is that? Is that God? Is that source? Is it the universe? Who knows that's pushing us to do that. But again, like, I think, I think what we're seeking is, this is not me. This is not a Chris Hoyen quote at all, but like what we are seeking is seeking us. And uh, I don't know who the hell said it, but I agree with it. And there's, we, we just find ways to, to support the people around us and to allow them to support us that we just would never expect when we're, at least for me, when I was in that addictive state, when I was in that close, I was closed. I was closed to the world. I had my back turned to it and I was just focused inward. That's all I was doing is like, how do I protect myself and the things that I want to do? But recovery has a way of opening us up, right? What helped you? Okay. I'm turning the table real quick, but like what helped you kind of crack that open? Because you have to have some kind of glimmer. You have to have some kind of hope. Like, what was the first moment where you're like, oh, maybe this is going to work? I, th- You know, I just wrote about this this morning in Cafe RE. My wife and I were talking about it the other day. Uh, it was, for me, it was that bottom. Like, I had to get to that bottom. I had to get to a point in my life, in our, our situation, where I had to find help because I was done. So I, I went to a doctor. At who, the bottom, I guess, more so I'm, I'm wondering, what was the first moment? where you were like, oh, mate, like you could see out of it. So like, yeah. So like as a result of like my, my shit bottom, like just talking to a counselor, like I could physically feel a weight coming off my shoulders. Cause my counselor, the first counselor I talked to, I think I yapped for like two hours and it felt like 15 minutes, but she told me, she's like, yeah, I was addicted to methamphetamines for years. And she's like, I'm in recovery myself. And just seeing her, I'm like, this is a, a young woman who's a professional, like she's, she's doing well. 
she looks like she has her shit together in some sense. And and she's here listening to me and just knowing her, she just told a very small part of her story. Just a, just a little, like maybe a two minute blurb and her looking at me after me pouring my guts out saying, it's going to be okay. Like, listen, everything that you've been through, like it's, it's going to be okay. We, we can help. And just knowing I felt a peace. So the short answer of the long ass thing that I just said, it's just like having community and opening myself up, myself up to be willing to listen to other people say, yeah, like it's not such a big deal. Like all the shit that you've been fretting, it's not that big of a deal. Your story is beautiful and important and we're going to help you get to the other side. There's, uh, there's just freedom in knowing that it wasn't just me because I believed it was me for so long. Yeah. Similar to like that, the, what you just shared about your, your student's parent, just when we need it, having someone just look at us and tell us it's going to be okay. It's just really powerful. Yep. For sure. To be able to see someone who's, who's, who's been there, you know, it, it looks different. Their story is different than ours. Yours is different than mine, but we've been through it. Yeah. We're, we're here together and yeah, not like none of us are here to fix each other, just to put our arms around each other and say, Hey, it's all right, bud. Going. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. All right. So to recap, you start this in support. And you, and you start to realize you, you, you know, you find some community, you found your, your yoga friend. Was there a, was there like a, a shining moment for you that you were able to turn this, this act of support into this is, this is an act for me. Was it a slow progression or a specific moment? Yeah. I mean, I think it was just a slow progression. It could have just been that I was too close to see it or kind of like what I was talking about in the beginning with the drinking and going off to college, like that transition was hard. And I had a lot of stuff happen my senior year of high school that brought a lot of trauma. And so I almost feel like this is so far rooted that I needed the space from all of it, from the drinking, from my diagnosis, from trauma growing up. You know, I, I, I needed all of this time and breathing room and just getting back to my own health, that's been a journey in and of itself. I mean, I was essentially sedentary most of my life. And I feel like my family was always like, what are we going to get Laura into? And then I go to a Pilates class. I was like, this is awesome. What is, and now I'm teaching Pilates and I've, you know, gotten myself in shape. I eat better. Just, it just was a snowball effect. And then in the meantime, Sorry, I shouldn't say snowball. I'm not bringing snow to you. You That's know, fine. it's fine. It's fine. Snow, <laughs> um, but you know, it just was this ever changing thing and a slow progression to realize, okay, you know, this is as much my thing. So I don't know. I I, I think that there isn't really an end game necessarily. I think the whole thing is an evolution. Like that's all it is. I'm going to keep learning, keep figuring this out, keep, you know, forgetting and remembering, oh yeah, I got to keep working on myself. I've, I'm not there. You know, I hate that there's no finish line, but I sure wish there were. Yeah. Something you said there, you needed that space. I just, I love that. I feel like we can get so stuck in our lives and we're just like, we're in the race and we're in the hustle and and we just, we get lost in it and we glorify the busyness and we, and all these things that we're doing, but to create a space where we can just breathe and without, without tainting ourselves, just like truly take a look at like, where am I? How are like, how is this playing into, 
into who I want to be. Maybe uh, this is the moment you're talking about. Actually, maybe I'm having the moment right now because when I was in therapy a few years ago and I was kind of reinventing my life after leaving teaching and my therapist said to me, you don't need to know what it looks like, but I want to know how this next evolution will feel. And I thought that was such a cool question. Like, I don't have to have the answers, but how do I want to feel? And I said, I want spaciousness of time. I want this freedom. So it's everything that you just said. And I've been really working to give myself that, you know, trying to find structure in my day and, you know, teaching Pilates. I teach maybe four or five classes a day. So I have a lot of time in my day to kind of focus on all of these things that have gotten me to this stronger foundation. So yeah, maybe it's, it's that spaciousness that I've been looking for. I think that's cool. And how do you feel you show up now as a person just for whoever you're serving? How do you feel you show up now with this space versus that traditional work model? That's interesting. I, I guess the comment that I get the most is that people appreciate my energy. Like I'm pretty... I'm a little high strung. Like I go into my class, I'm like, you got this, come on. Like I'm a cheerleader. I'm cheering people on all the time. And I think, you know, they say that they, whoever they is, but they say that oftentimes you give the thing that you most needed as a kid. And if I had anything, I love that I'm crying in my camping closet. (laughs) But um, if I had anything as a kid, I had the greatest cheerleaders. I had the greatest cheerleaders. So um, if that's the thing that I give and the way that I show up, then I've done my parents proud. What a cool thing. Laura, you've, you've cultivated this life. Thank you. You've done this. Yeah. Man, that's beautiful. I love this stuff. Can I ask uh, with, uh, with, with your mental health diagnosis, have you seen changes in the way that that presents itself in, in symptoms in your time in recovery? You know what? That's been really interesting because I probably like 10 years ago, I decided that I didn't want to be on medication anymore for bipolar disorder. And um, I worked closely with my doctor and weaned off all medications work with a doctor. Like I'm not, I, this isn't for everybody. Medication saved my life. Like I wouldn't be here had I not had those interventions. No doubt, no question. But I was able to get off all of those medications and I've, you know, I, I notice a fluctuation in my moods, um, dependent on the season. Uh, I don't know that obviously the drinking wasn't help helping. Yeah. It wasn't helping. But since sobriety, I don't, I just feel like it's just been an upward track and I feel stable and I do the things that are medicine to me and I haven't shunned it off forever. But, you know, anybody who's been on that stuff, like there are so many side effects. It's insane, which is funny to say about a medication that's helping to keep you sane. But, uh, you know, it can be, it, it can just be more harmful than anything else. And it can also save your life. So time and a place. And right now I feel good. 
but you know, the clouds are rolling in. Winter is here. We'll see how it goes. Well, what a blessing to be, to be in a space where you, you can have some agency over your own life. And I hope I don't, I hope I don't lose that, but I've been there before and I know how that's the best part is that I know how to ask for help. Like all of these moments, you just like, it's scarier not to ask for help. That's the scariest thing you could do. And I think I learned that pretty quickly on all fronts. So with four years, because I can definitely do math with four years and change, not four months and change, uh, back from the beginning. Sorry I called you out. No, I'm glad that you did. Uh, usually I ask those questions before we start the interview and I was looking at my sheet. I'm like, oh shit, I didn't ask and I've already hit record. What do we do? Anyway, with four years, you know, you've said it a couple times that, that, that this, that this is a journey without necessarily a destination, but is, are there any, are there any things in particular looking at recovery moving forward that maybe you're excited about or, or things that you're curious about that you, that you want to learn more about? Let me think. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I'm just open to see what comes. I don't, I, is that a lame answer? No, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's good enough answer. Okay. Uh, Cause to be open, I think that's, yeah. that's such a, that's such a huge part. And I, again, I think, I think the things that are going to propel us to another level or a different place, I don't, like, I don't want to create this hierarchy of where we are versus where we're going. That's, I don't, I don't think that's helpful, but the things that we're going to open ourselves up to, I think as long as we, as long as we stay open, I think, I feel like they present themselves to us. Well, yeah. you know, if we stay in the arena, you know, we're going to hear someone talk about something that's going to pique our interest or twitch our ear and say, Oh, Hey, maybe I want to yeah. read that book or yeah. try this practice before we get to the rapid fire round. I want to ask about, uh, your relationship and just how, how things are now, you know, you kind of started this in support, uh, of your partner. How has that been going? Our lives are a total 180. Yeah, my husband is still sober. We have the same sobriety date and we still go to all the concerts. We still, you know, do all the camping. It's less winter, which is great, which just means that we made a decision to move here again for mountain biking, which was something that wasn't in my husband's life before sobriety. And I think has served as such a, it's been such a vehicle for him, which is, you know, nice in finding sobriety and finding something that you can dive into to help you along that health track. So that's been great. And it's really interesting because I don't think it's anything that either of us actively think about in a given day. I don't, we don't go out to a restaurant like, oh, let's look at the wine list. It's and it and it's also not triggering. Like it's not something. It just doesn't come up. Like it's so. It feels so far in the past at this point that it's not an option, which feels awesome. And I, I'm just so proud of both of us. And I tell him that all like maybe too often. <laughs> That's the part of it that comes up is just this solid place that we're in that there was no way to get there. Like there was no way to get there except for how we did. So, you know, one day at a time, all those slogans ring true because that's how it works. Like we're doing great. And also, you know, 
we've been married for six years. So, or how, I, whatever, however long we've been married, but we've been married for however long that we also have our days. We're human. So, yeah. you know, but yeah, overall things are great. And thank you for asking. That's how about beautiful. you with your wife getting sober and support? Are you guys? Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's all right. She, so she, my wife, she actually sobered up Well, sobered up. She quit drinking. I don't, I don't even know if she knows when, but it was years. It was multiple years before, um, before I did, because she was, I mean, she was just so disgusted with what alcohol was doing to me. And she, after I got sober, she filed for divorce. So that was cool. No, oh. I don't, I don't give her grief about that. No, we're together now. Like we're still married, but it was very, like, it was dark. We had a really dark time, but man, what a blessing now to be, uh, you know, we've been married. We're coming up on 2024 will be 19 years that we've been married. And, uh, That's awesome. and a lot of that was spent. A lot of those were learning years. Again, like I, I hate to quantify or create this hierarchy of years that I've lived and which ones are better or worse. Um, they've all built towards today. Right. But we spent a lot of those years learning and they were some tough lessons, but to be in a space now where, where we know how to extend one another grace and show each other love and, and know how to ask for help and how to ask for support and, and how to advocate for ourselves. Um, it really is. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful place to be in. Uh, again, like I can't take those, I can't take those tough years back because then I won't have the lessons I, I do today, but I just encourage anyone listening to, if you're in a relationship, man, do the work on it now. It's tough and it's super yeah. freaking, it's super freaking uncomfortable. But like what a beautiful, magical relationship can be where you truly are there for one another. Like, yeah, you can't, you can't beat it. You just, you cannot beat it. And then the new year will roll around. I found myself telling someone today, you know, 2024 will be great. This year has been so boring. And I was like, wait, what am I? Great. A boring year is an awesome year. So let's have more boring years. Right. <laughs> it's a, yeah. little, a little more even I don't need the opposite. It. let's have more boring years <laughs> amen to that uh laura we are at the rapid fire section sister i'm gonna ask you some questions and ask you to answer them within 30 to 60 seconds are you ready i'm ready she's ready what was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking this might be interesting with a different perspective you know what i wasn't i wasn't afraid of anything i knew it couldn't get worse so let's do it i literally had no fears nice what is a positive that you didn't expect in a life without alcohol just the overall upward trajectory like i it sounds so cheesy when people say it but this ripple effect that quitting drinking has is real it's affected everything in the positive and you know i'm sure that i'll have my down days but hoping that in the grand scheme of things keeping that upward trend so i love it and that you can still dance hard if not harder at shows one of my daughter's friends told me the other day they were cringy but we've got some dance videos from our retreats out in bozeman like big group dance videos so we should you guys should do something like that Chris, cringe. I never said I was a good dancer. Yeah. I'd probably look right <laughs> at home in Bozeman. Oh, well, we hope to see you out there. What is your go-to alcohol-free drink? LaCroix, just plain. Plain like water, like LaCroix water? Yeah. The 
the blue can? The bubbly, just the blue, just blue. I don't like the flavors. Okay. I just like the regular plain. This is a safe space. Thank you. you, can, you can. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite resource in recovery? This could be a book, an app, a program, anything like that. All my pals. And then another thing that was really helpful was Holly Whitaker's book, Quit Like a Woman, because though I like referenced Al-Anon and AA a lot in this interview, I'm, I don't, I'm not a big AA person and reading her book, uh, I learned a lot. And I also, one of the things I learned was just that there are a thousand ways to do it. You know, you don't have to go one single path. I love it. What parting piece of guidance can you give to our listeners who are early in recovery or thinking about getting sober? Yeah, just find one person who you can talk to. And it can be someone unexpected. It can be someone who you may not feel like is ready to support you and be open to surprise. Good word. And last, but certainly not least, Lori, can you give listeners your favorite? You might need to ditch the booze if line. Yeah, you might need to ditch the booze if you get a DUI, but you claim it's only because your car didn't have the automatic light feature. So I was told I was pulled over because my headlights weren't on. And that was why I got a DUI. It had nothing to do with me being way over the legal limit. <laughs> nothing else. Those are all extenuating circumstances, officer. Uh, yeah, that checks out. Sister, I want to thank you for your time and your vulnerability and your openness. Uh, we appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you, Laura, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. Laura's story is another that shows there isn't a singular path to recovery. There are many ways to access a life that better serves us besides the typical rock bottoms and cliches. One of the reasons we share our stories is to try to give people a chance to relate to our experiences before they have some of the consequences we did. I believe that by opening up the language we use, we give people a chance to dip their toes in the water sooner without the stigma. I don't really care about the label alcoholic or addict, but if changing the verbiage to something like gray area drinker, sober curious, or simply someone who wants to change their relationship with alcohol gives them the opportunity to try a different life, I am all for it. If you're listening today and some of that language is holding you back, here's your permission slip. Switch it up. If you have a loved one or a friend who you're concerned about and it's making you question your own behavior, that's okay. This doesn't have to be a time to shut the door. It's your chance to open it, lean into it, and know that help is out there. You're the only one that can do this, but you don't have to do it alone. I love you guys.